All right. Good morning, Docs Church. Guys, it's, it's great to see you. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Open up to Genesis chapter 1. We got a, a lot of ground to cover, a lot of stuff to, to get through today as we continue this, this great foundational journey through the book of Genesis. If you're new to Doxa, guys, welcome again. Uh, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it's great to have you part of our, our family gathering. For those of you who are still joining us online, guys, we, we miss you. Ronnie says it. We miss you. Guys, it's not the same without having you here. So hopefully, we're, we're praying soon that you guys will be able to come back, but it's great to be joined with you on our, our live stream. Now, as we get into Genesis today, all right, we're going to continue to look at the creation of the world. And as we do this, really what we get today is, is we come to the apex of God's creation. And what happens at the end of chapter one and throughout chapter two is that the narrative of the creation account kind of goes into slow motion to really focus in on the creation of humanity. That up until verse 26 of, of chapter one, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has just kind of been flying through creation. I mean, he tells us that God creates light, and then he creates the sky, and then he creates the land and the seas, the plants, the trees, and then he creates the sun and the moon and all the animals of the world, and he just kind of blazes his way through until he reaches the apex of creation, God's special creation, the creation that is different from all other things that God has created, humanity. And this is where we're at today. And so I'm just going to read this section, and then we're going to dive in and get to work. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And I'm just going to stop there. In the coming weeks, we're, we're going to pick this up and we're going to come back and kind of fill this in. But what we have today is the picture of, of human life. And in, in some ways, guys, this is really simple and, and straightforward, right? God made humanity. God made people. And in many Christians, we will hear this, and especially you're prone to this if you've grown up in the church. You, you hear this and say, okay, yeah, that's pretty basic. I get it. What's next? Like, what, what's, what's the bigger thing here? But guys, to move too quickly past this section without drawing out the actual meaning and the implications of being made in the image of God, guys, this will leave us with a very malnourished view of humanity. And this is one of the reasons why our, our culture, our world, has so much brokenness. Guys, the image of God on all people affects everything about human life. It affects the way that we view it, how we interact with it and the people around us. I mean, I would submit to you that all of the human rights issues, all of the social justice fires that are just burning in front of us right now are all a direct result of our world not understanding the truths that God gives us right here in Genesis chapter one about humanity. And some of you, you know, you've, you've taken classes on anthropology, the study of mankind. I just want you to know that our anthropology starts here in the beginning with God. All right, the Genesis, as we've been studying it, it's a, it's a book of beginnings, it's a book of origins, and the truth is, guys, nothing makes sense in your life unless you start at the beginning. And the doctrine of man, which Genesis begins to give us right here, doesn't just affect the way that we think. Docs, I want you to hear this, but it affects the way that we live. 
It should affect the way that we live. And it should affect the way that we view and interact with all people of the world. And throughout this section of Genesis, we get three foundational truths about humanity. And there's most definitely more, and we're going to continue to dig into this throughout Genesis. But today, three foundational truths about the image of God, being created in the image of God. And honestly, guys, uh, this is going to be like a a flyover, like a a survey, okay? Because each one of these points that I'm going to make today, quite honestly, could be its own sermon. All right, but you didn't want to sit here for two hours. I'm hungry, and so we're just going to do a flyover, okay? But three foundational truths as it relates to humanity in the image of God. The first is this, if you're a note taker, is that God creates humanity with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. And the key word there is intrinsic. Okay, look back to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so God has just gotten done. He's creating everything and he creates human life. And as he does this, it says, look back, that he does it in his image. And like I said earlier, this is a massive topic with really important, significant implications for us. Theologians call this the Imago Dei, that all of humanity is made in the image of God. And the Imago Dei really does affect everything about your life. That because God made humanity in his image, this means that, guys, life is special. Life is very unique, and people are very significant. All people. And, guys, when I say all, okay, I literally mean all. This isn't like pastoral hyperbole. All people. And you, and you might be thinking, like, you haven't met my neighbor yet, right? He's got a Chicago Bears flag flying on his front porch. He's got garden gnomes that he talks to. I'm pretty sure he sells drugs and his dog poops in my yard every day. That guy? Yes, that guy. Guys, all people. Okay, the stark reality is this, is that God made all people in his image, which means that all people are special, regardless of, of belief, of faith, of actions, of lifestyle, anything. And here's how we learn about this in Genesis, okay? Genesis 1 is kind of like the the panoramic view of God and his creation, all right? It's like the wide-angle lens shot of what is going on. But what happens in Genesis is that in chapter 2, it's kind of like the close-up shot. Chapter 2 is really just looking in greater detail at the making of the first of humanity, of Adam and Eve. And so Genesis 1, we, we learn that God created humanity in his image, and then Genesis 2 zooms in and shows us how God actually did this. And guys, this is so incredibly beautiful and significant. I want you just to flip a page to Genesis chapter 2 in your Bible and look at verse 7. This is what Moses says. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed. He formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now maybe at face value you're like, okay, I don't know how beautiful that is, but I just want you to consider this, okay? As God created everything else, how did he do it? We've been looking at this the last couple weeks. How did he create everything else? He spoke, right? We're gonna work on the call and response stuff, okay? We can participate in it. But he spoke that there was nothing but God, and then he spoke, and everything came to be. But as we look at Genesis 
2.7. How does God create us? Doxa, it's not with his words, but it's with his hands. All right, that God didn't just speak, but he used his hands. And this is significant because the imagery, the picture that we get here is that God is intimately involved in making human life. And because of that, guys, all human life is special among all creations. That we, we can't just like buy into the philosophy and the teaching of, of men like Sigmund Freud, who, who essentially taught that, that humanity, people, human beings are just really just more sophisticated animals. That's not us. That's not you. You're not just a, a, a greater animal. You're made in the image of God. And this is so important because evolutionary hypothesis will tell us that nothing made everything. That unintelligent matter made intelligent life. That that which was lifeless brought forth life. That the impersonal made the personal. But guys, this is just completely implausible. That you were not made from nothing, but you were made by God. He created you. Humanity is made in the image of God. And because of this reality, we all have intrinsic dignity, value, and worth as his image bearers. And this is true of all the people of the world. And Doxa, some of you, somebody here needs to hear this, that you just need to understand how important you are to God. You need to understand how dearly loved you are by God simply because you exist. That God sees you and he loves you because he made you in his image. And this is true of you but it's also true of every person that you have ever locked eyes with. People are special, they're significant. The pastor theologian Kent Hughes, he said it beautifully like this, and I quote, that if you could travel 100 times the speed of light past countless yellow-orange stars to the edge of the galaxy and swoop down to the fiery glow located a few hundred light years below the plane of the Milky Way. If you could slow down to examine the host of hot young stars, luminous among the gas and the dust, if you could observe close up the protostars poised to birth forth from their dusty cocoons, if you could witness the birth of a star, if you could do that, yet in all your stellar journeys, you would never see anything equal to the birth of a human being. For a tiny baby girl or boy is the apex of God's creation made in his image. This is what we're learning here. And this has everything to do with dignity, value, and the worth of all people. Doxa, you have never, and you will never, lock eyes with somebody who doesn't bear the image of God and who doesn't mean a significant amount to God. It's the first foundational truth about humanity. Now the second foundational truth that Genesis gives us about humanity is this, is that God designs us uniquely male and female. All right, look back to verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created him. Now, this is the first time that gender shows up in the Bible, that humanity was created male and female, and this is still true of us today. Now, in our day, Many people will say, and, and you've heard this, especially in, in a city like ours in Madison, many people will say that there's really no essential differences between men and women, 
or whatever the differences might be, it's just accidental. It's not meant to, to be like this. But, and this is honestly, this, this worldview and this understanding of humanity is, is really understandable for those who, who think that kind of like mindless evolution is the means by which we are what we are today. But what we just need to see is this is entirely incomprehensible from the standpoint of the Bible, which tells us that nothing is an accident. And that sexuality in particular is a result of the creative act of God. And so maleness and femaleness are, are therefore good and meaningful, just as other parts of creation are good and meaningful. That men are not women and women are not men. They're just different. And that's not saying that they're, they're good and bad, but it's just like this, guys. It's left hand, right hand. Right? It's both equal, both different, both needed. Right hand, left hand. This is what we're, we're seeing. This is what we're learning. And if you are a parent and you're, you're raising kids, and if you have a son and a daughter, you, you get this, right? You get like a front row seat to kind of see the differences here, right? They're just totally different, okay? I have a, a daughter and a son. My daughter will be in her room just peaceful, like a, a little angel dressed up in a dress and playing with her stuffies, creating a, a kingdom, right? Singing songs and ha ah. My son kicks open the door with the spirit of Attila the Hun dressed as a stormtrooper and shoots everybody with his Nerf guns, okay? They're just totally different, right? But here's the deal. What happens in a world where we don't know that we're made by God is that people think men and women aren't distinct and different. And the issue that men and women are different is not a bad thing. Doxa, hear that. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a beautiful thing that God intended. But today, male and female differences are thought to deny equality, as if equality means like indistinguishability. But this thought is, is really neither biblical nor rational because the man and the woman are equal before God, but they're not indistinguishable. They're different. And at Doxa, we believe that men and women, while distinct and different, are both image bearers of God that they have dignity, value, worth, and equality. And so what this means, guys, is we don't have to play into this game where women need to spend their entire lives proving that they're equal to men. We don't have to play that game. Culture might play that game, the people around us might play that game. We as Christians, we don't do that because we have the Bible in our hand and we can simply just open up to the verse and, and understand that, that we're equal by virtue of creation, that there's nothing for a woman to prove in our world today. She just needs to read the verse, I bear the image of God. And this is the same for, for men, that you are God's image bearers. And we're equal by virtue of creation, distinct and different for sure, just as God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct and different but equal. This is our basic anthropology. Now, the third foundational truth that we see in Genesis 1 is this, it's that God makes us mirrors, okay? Being made in the image of God means that, that we're made to be mirrors reflecting the glory of God and the goodness of God to the world. All right, it, it's kind of like this, okay? If you've studied history, you've, you've learned this. In ancient times when, when kings and rulers would go to war and, and take over new territories, they would oftentimes like erect large statues of themselves in those places. And as they did this, it was to remind the people who ruled them, who had power over this place. 
that the image of the king in these statues would reflect to the people the power that he had in their lives. Doxa, in much the same way, God has put his image on us to show the world something of himself. And so being made in the image of God, we're essentially a mirror showing people a glimpse of the God of the universe who created and who rules. And in just our existence, just being you, even if you're here and you're not a Christian, in your existence, you reflect the glory of God because he made you. But even more than just reflecting God's glory because he, he intricately made us, we're also created as a mirror to reflect the goodness of God. The great theologian John Calvin said it this way, listen, he said, I believe rightly that we are like a mirror that reflects something of God into the earth. That God is a loving God and when we love, we're showing a little bit of what God is like. That God is for a forgiving God and when we forgive those who sin against us, we're showing a little bit of God to the earth. Doxa, all this to say, people get a glimpse of what God is like through the people that he has made when they're operating and living as he created them to do. Doxa Church, you are image bearers of God. God has created you. He loves you. You have infinite, intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. And he wants to use you to show the world around you how beautiful he is. We're mirrors. Now, these are some of the foundational truths that Genesis 1 gives us. And, and quite honestly, we could stop there and there would be a great opportunity for like reflection, response, and, and worship. But to really understand the significance of these truths, we, we need to take another step. We need to go a step further because Christians, in my experience, we're really good at learning information. Right? We're really great at coming to a place like this and taking notes and going to the connection group and we, we learn a bunch of stuff. But what I've found in, in my life and through witnessing other people is that we're not as good as at, at letting that information sink from our head to our heart to transform us and move us to action. That a lot of Christians are just have like a huge head filled with stuff, but their hands and their mouth are kind of empty. But guys, it's not just about information, it's about transformation that leads to action. And this is what God, this is what the Bible is all about. And when it comes to these truths of humanity, there are some very big immediate cultural implications that come along with these. And so I wanna take those three foundational truths about humanity and I wanna give you three cultural implications as it relates to them because these truths have massive implications of how they affect our lives, how we engage with the world and how we see and treat the people of the world around us. And the first cultural implication is this, rooted in the first foundational truth, that because God creates us with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth, here's what that means. It means that we fight for life. Because if what we just looked at, regarding the Imago Dei, the image of God on all people, if that is true, which as Christians we believe this is true, like God is, is speaking to us through the Bible, and so we believe this is true. If it is, this means that Christians need to fight for the life of people, helping every person have a life that flourishes, all people. I mean, have you ever wondered why? Right? As, you, as you navigate the everyday stuff of life, have you ever wondered why so many terrible things happen among humanity? 
And I, and I know that maybe some of you, you've been around doxa for a while and you're like, well, yeah, I know you've, you've said that's because of sin and guys, that's totally true. But here is specifically what the issue is. That, that sin has caused humanity not to listen to God. That much of the world and sadly even many Christians don't listen to God here in Genesis 1 and 2 concerning humanity. And because we don't understand the implications of being made in the image of God, many people in our world don't treat other human beings as they should. You know, for example, in our world today, there are so many things that are done as a direct assault to God's creation and an affront to his glory. I mean, abortion, for instance. This only happens in a world that doesn't understand that God creates life and that human life bears the image of God. As Christians, the only reason, guys, hear this, the only reason that it makes any sense to stand and contend for human life, standing against abortion, is because it kills the life that God created. If evolutionary hypothesis is right, and we're just kind of like, as Sigmund Freud suggests, like kind of evolved greater animals, then it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, take life, kill life, it doesn't matter. But because we're made in the image of God, this changes everything. And we know the biology now. Like the Bible, the psalmists talk about how God knit us together in the womb, and we know the biology now. David didn't even know that when he wrote the Psalms, and now we know that like within days, within weeks, in the first three months of a pregnancy, like a baby has the ability to cry and to feel pain, and there's, there's neurons firing and heartbeats, and there's... Th- It doesn't make any sense to fight for light unless the image of God is right. Because the image of God suggests that life is special and there's intrinsic value and worth. But guys, we we live in a country where over a million babies are aborted every year. 3,000 every day. That's one baby being killed every 25 to 30 seconds. And that's just our country. It's not even considering the world, that's just our country. And as Christians, we we can't turn our eyes away from this. And and maybe you're hearing this and you're being like, wow, you're getting political. I didn't know that Doxa was about that. Guys, this is not political, this is theological. Okay, we just need to understand this. This is a theological issue. The gospel is the reason we fight for life. That because of the biblical foundation of the image of God, abortion is just a clear affront to God's glory as our creator, and it's an assault on his work in creation. But it's not just abortion. It's not just abortion. All right, because Christians are oftentimes criticized, evangelicals are criticized, even in this like hot political climate that we're in right now with the election coming on, evangelicals are, are criticized for caring about life, unborn life, but once that life is born, we don't care about it anymore. And that might be the view of, of some Christians. It's not a biblical view. This is not how it is. It's not the way it should be. The image of God on people means that it goes past the start of life into the life that people are living after they're born. And that's why issues of of racism and poverty and sex trafficking are all issues that Christians should stand against and fight against. And this really goes back to our our study of Micah 6.8 where God says to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is where we talked about the quartet of the vulnerable, caring and loving and helping and fighting for the orphan, the immigrant, the widow, and the poor. 
as Christians, as the family of God, because of the reality of the Imago Dei, we should be striving to help people live, to help life flourish as God has created all of humanity to do. Our, uh, our doxa women are studying the book of Jude right now. And, and ladies, um, it's been so awesome to hear stories of your times together and what God is doing. I, I love watching you ladies, you dox, our doxa women, like study the Bible, learn about God, follow Jesus together, it's, it's awesome. We have some great men, single men, you need to look around because we got some great women in this church, okay? That's my plug and help for you single guys, okay? Ladies, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but in their study of, of Jude, which was produced by a, a really godly woman named Jackie Hill Perry, here's what she says. She says, God hates what he doesn't love. So if he loves life, he hates abortion. If he loves children, he hates sex trafficking. If he loves people, he hates racism and injustice. That all of this is anti-God. It's anti-gospel, that there are no types of people, there are no colors of people that have more or less value in our world. Martin Luther King Jr. famously pointed this out, saying this, and I quote, there are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard, precisely because every man is made in the image of God. This is emphatically true, and the doctrine of man, the image of God, means that we fight for the life that God has created. Guys, the answer to the killing of life and the injustice towards life is ultimately not political or sociological, it's theological. It's all about Jesus. This is the only hope that our world ultimately has. That if we consider the well-known verse of John 3.16, right, that everything, you know, all the big sporting events, you always see some guy, some crazy guy, have a John 3.16, whatever, okay? But we, we've heard this. But if every life is so precious, this is why God sacrificed his son and sent his son to die so that we may find our way back to him. And because this is true, Christians care about the flourishing of their fellow image bearers because every life is sacred, every life is valuable, every life is worth it, every life is special. Cultural implication number two. Because God designs us uniquely male and female, foundational truth number two, this means that we embrace God's design in a culture that rejects it. Now, I gotta explain this, okay? Until recently, you know, most people were kind of content to take their, their bodily sex and gender as givens. Okay, but things have, have changed and culture today largely rejects gender, kind of seeing it as like a, a fluid concept that really doesn't mean much. But because God created humanity, male and female, we, we can't erase gender distinctions. Okay, God says it matters to his design and the flourishing of his creation. We can't erase it. And here at Doxa, we're, we're trying to help men and women, both created in the image of God, to thrive 
in life as God intends them to do as uniquely male and female. Now, if, if you study history, you, you know from a historical perspective that this hasn't been the way that our culture over the years has, has seen things. That the world as a whole has been very like misogynistic. There have been a lot of terrible men and a lot of terrible women throughout the history of the world, but what these terrible men have done is, is throughout history, they have taken and perverted the Bible and they have used the truths of God and twisted them in such a way that they could oppress women. And you have chauvinistic, misogynistic men that are just pathetic and they're lording over women. And guys, this has affected everything that you feel it today. That the world, like, it fights against this. And men, this is an opportunity for us just to know that to be a man of God, you don't stand for this. To be a man of God, you are humble. You view women and treat women as special, as equal. You don't abuse them, you don't oppress them, you don't hold them down, you don't lord over them, but you limp towards them. This is what it means to be a man of God. We fight against this. There's no option. If the world has any chance of getting better, men have to get better. We cannot stand for this type of misogyny in the world today. There is no room for that in the gospel of Jesus. Now, sorry, I gotta catch my breath. That was too much. In more recent years, the conversation of equality between genders has been happening. Right, But it's still a struggle because many people are approaching this in the wrong way. But if the world would just look back to the beginning, if the world would just look back to Genesis, we would learn very quickly that there is equality between genders, that men and women are equal, different but equal. And we're going to talk about gender roles in the weeks to come as we dive into two weeks about marriage. But today we just need to understand that we're talking about equality we're talking about how men and women are incomplete without each other. We, we need each other. If you look to verse 26, men and women are created to have dominion together. We're created to live life together, to be equal partners together. And the overarching point of Genesis is to show us the reality that God created everything with a purpose and a very specific design. And if you look, if you turn to Genesis chapter 2, and if you look at verse 18, because we, we see this. That before God made woman, he made man, Adam, in the garden. He's just there, he's by himself, he's alone, and here's what God says, verse 18. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make, her, make him a helper fit for him. Now, here's the question, okay? Has sin entered the world up until this point? No. That comes in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to get into this in a little bit. And so the question that we have to ask is, how can something not be good if there's no sin? Here's the answer. It's because it, creation is not complete. That if the man is the image bearer of God, we know that God is a trinity. That there is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Equal, imperfect, unified relationship. But here in Genesis 2, the man is all by himself, that he's got God above him and creation beneath him, but he doesn't have an equal. He doesn't have a partner, and so he cannot image 
God alone. It's not good for him to be alone. Creation is incomplete. And so God has a plan. And what's his plan? It wasn't to give him a puppy or a power tool to help him navigate creation, right? He gives him a woman. God creates a woman and blesses humanity with women because without them, God is saying, this isn't good. He's looking at this guy, and guys, this should humble us because the deficiency in this moment of creation is the man, right? He's looking at this guy, and he's like, this place is gonna be a mess. It's gonna be terrible. He's gonna break stuff. He needs somebody alongside of him, right? And God gives humanity women. This is his design and his created order, men and women equal but different, distinct but dependent. God created men and women different but totally in need of one another. This is his good design, doxa. And so we cannot negate gender because we won't flourish and live as God created us to. That if we throw away gender, like much of our world is attempting to do today, we won't be able to carry out God's command in verse 28, as he says, to be fruitful and multiply. All right, and this is true biologically, that men and women need each other to procreate and to fill the world and to populate the world with more image bearers for the glory of God and the good of the world. But this is also true in a spiritual sense as, as the family of God, the picture is the family of God. This is like the Great Commission Right, to not just like multiply physically, but to multiply spiritually. This is making disciples, men and women in the family of God, going forward for the glory of God and the good of the world around them, making disciples, seeing people come to meet Jesus. This is why we cannot throw away gender, because it, it matters. It brings flourishing to God's creation. And this is why we do things like doxa men and doxa women, because honestly, it's, it's a really confusing time to be a man and a woman today. But we know maleness and femaleness is a good part of God's design. And so we cannot, there's no room for us to align with a worldview that gender is not important and maleness and femaleness doesn't exist because it matters to God and the world will not be what God created it to be without it. And then finally, cultural implication number three. Because God makes us mirrors, we exist for God, not ourselves. Let me just say this, okay? Guys, the the life you have been given, the life that we have been given, created by God in his image, is not about you figuring out who you are and expressing that, but figuring out who God is and reflecting that. This is huge. The implication of the image of God is that we're mirrors, is that your life is not about you figuring out who you are and learning how to express it, but it's you ultimately figuring out who God is and reflecting that. And we live in a world, guys, that this is just a countercultural statement, because we live in a world that's incredibly egocentric, where we ask questions about what I want. What do I want to do? What will fulfill me? And people around us just tell us, man, just follow your heart and do whatever you feel like is right for you. But I just want you to hear this, guys. The fact that we're created in the image of God as mirrors means that we don't live an egocentric life, but a gospel-driven life. Where we don't just think about ourselves, but we think about God as his image bearers. We don't follow our heart, we follow God. 
because our hearts are totally wicked and they're deceived. All of us has been affected by sin and our hearts will lead us. And oftentimes, many times, most times, they will lead us not in the direction to the glory of God, but in the direction away from God into sin. Now here's the truth about all of us as mirrors. Guys, the mirror that is our life, that we're created to reflect God, has been shattered by sin. That we're all sinful, we're all sinners by nature and choice, that we think thoughts, we say words, we do actions that are completely in opposition to God. This is what sin is. And this is a universal problem among humanity. The godliest people that you know, every single person in this world has a sin issue and the mirror that is their life is broken. And this brokenness leads to all types of problems in our world. Some of these problems that I mentioned, right? Broken mirrors lead to injustice. Broken mirrors lead to taking life, inequality, racism, power struggles between genders just terrible things that has ruined and wrecked our world. Broken mirrors forget about the image of God. And since we're all sinful, which we're gonna deal with in just a few weeks as we get into Genesis chapter three, the result is is that we reflect the glory and the goodness of God very infrequently and very poorly. And although sin has shattered the mirror that is our lives and has brought devastation and suffering to the world, God steps into his creation as the man Jesus Christ, ultimately to put those mirrors back together. Guys, this is the gospel. That Jesus, through faith, takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness to put our mirror back together, allowing us to be with God and to reflect God more truly for his glory bringing about restoration, not only to ourselves, but our city and world. Guys, this is the message of salvation. This is the gospel. This is the thing that every single person in this world needs to hear. This is the thing that we need to be reminded of all the time. Some of you, I know this, your story is is much like mine, that you've done things, horrible things. Maybe you've been involved with some of the things that I've mentioned today. And you carry around a heaviness, a brokenness, a a weight, a guilt, a shame. You know your life is broken. You know your mirror is shattered. And there's a temptation maybe for you to kind of limp into this place and think, is there any hope for somebody like me, somebody who could do that type of thing? And you have this shame and you have this blanket of condemnation. You just need to hear the truth of Romans 8.1. The Apostle Paul says that there is now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That God can take your mistakes, he can take your sin, he can pick up the shards of glass that have fallen to the ground because of that sin, and in love for you, he can put you back together, restore you, renew you. All you need to do is come to him. For others of you, I I know that you don't have that type of view that maybe some of us have that struggle with that. Like, you think you're like a, a pretty good person, you have a pretty high view of yourself. The truth of your life is that without the intervention and the help of Jesus, your mirror is still shattered because you still have sin in your life. And the brokenness of your mirror shows you 
the brokenness in your relationship with God. And if the brokenness in your relationship with God is not mediated, you will remain eternally separated from him, which is just the terrible conscious reality of hell. But God. With Jesus, there's always a good ending. But God, he sees you because he has created you. And because he has created you in his image, he loves you. And through Jesus, he has not only seen you and loved you, but he's made a way for you. And he's inviting you to come to him today. Because as we all do this, as we all come to Jesus and he restores our broken mirrors, we believe that Jesus can make an eternal difference, not only in our lives individually, but in the lives of all the people of our city, our state, our country, our world, that God is a creator, he's powerful. He created humanity special for himself to be with him and to reflect him. And the good news for all of us, guys, is that the tomb is empty. That Jesus has shown himself and presented himself to be God and all these truths that we're learning here in the beginning are true for us now in 2020. The gospel puts us back together so that we can live reflecting and fighting for the glory of God and the good of the people of our world who God loves because he made. Let's be that church. Let's be that people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Apart from you, it would, we would just be lost, kind of just navigating life blind. And God, I, I pray that you would help us to not just be like a, a really like religious, hypocritical type of church that comes in here and, and has all of this knowledge and, and plays church, but somehow leaves here unaffected. God, would you be, help us to be people that image you, that reflect you, that work for you, that walk with you, that rely on you, that look to you, that we display your glory and we exist for the good of those around us. Help us to be those types of people. Help us to be people created in your image. God, we, we need you. God, I, I just thank you for taking the broken mirror that is my life, that was my life. And Jesus, you, you came in and you restored it. Not by anything that I did, but just because you love me and you made a way. And I pray that every one of your kids in this room today would be reminded of the gospel of how you put the mirror back together and that would well up in worship, wonder, awe, and praise. And for those who have not come to you, have not had a restored mirror, God, that you would just move in this moment and draw them to yourself. That they would say yes to you, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name.